is the WTF Bach Podcast. The podcast about Johann Sebastian Bach, brought to you by his prodigal son, WTF Bach. Join WTF Bach as he guides your mind through a contrapuntal journey. Why don't you let WTF Bach guide you? And now, here's WTF Bach. It's WTF Bach. Evan Schinner's here. Today, I'm going to talk about two chorale preludes in G major, both of them. One for full organ, meaning with pedals, and one for just the manuals, no feet required. Actually, to be more specific, one will be a trio in which both hands will be playing on separate keyboards and the feet will be the third keyboard and the other is just for a single manual. Now, if you're just tuning in, the last episode we discussed what a chorale prelude is. If you're curious about the history, if not, I'm pretty sure our examination will be straightforward. Now, why I like the chorale preludes is because they are pieces to be played, not sung, right? These are played instrumental pieces, but they're based on words. They're based on text, so somehow, Bach is inspired by the text and he creates music that reflects what's going on with the words. Now, when you're a performer of Bach's music, you're always trying to get a hold on what the output was. It's so limitless. You want to know, can you fix the boundaries? Where does this music end? And as we've seen before on this podcast, Bach, in his late years, he starts looking back, making revisions to his earlier works, possibly for posterity's sake. Take the Mass in B minor, for example. Well, he went in his late years, in the 1740s, he also went back into his early organ works. Bach, early in his life, was the organist at Weimar, and his patron, Duke Wilhelm Ernst, was encouraging of Bach's talents at the organ and encouraged him to write all this incredible organ music. We might even say, although we know that sweeping statements are very dangerous with Bach, that most of Bach's organ music comes from the Weimar period. After Weimar, when Bach was at Curtin, he was the director of chamber music, but from Curtin we only have some organ music, not much. He was busy writing, again, that chamber music. Then when Bach went to Leipzig in his later years, the longest position he ever held, it seems that there was each decade a few monumental organ compositions. In the 1720s, he writes three giant prelude and fugues, some of the finest, the big C minor, the E minor wedge, so-called Wedge Fugue, and then the great B minor. We will cover all of those periods and fugues on this podcast, probably very soon, I, I even promise. Then in the 1730s, he writes the third part of the Klaber Übung. I spoke briefly on this in the last episode as the chorale prelude we discussed in depth comes from that collection. And depending on how you count, there are about 21 chorale preludes from that collection. Then, the 1740s, Bach's last decade, he goes back into those Weimar years and he begins revising a number of chorale preludes. You, if indeed you've been listening to the podcast from season one, where we covered the art of fugue, you already know one of these chorale preludes. In fact, the so-called deathbed chorale, that was Bach dictating in his blindness from his deathbed. There's a lot of myths surrounding that chorale. For starters, since I've said that it's already a Weimar composition, we should abandon the romantic image of Bach freely composing in his blindness from his bed, like Milton writing Paradise Lost or something. But Bach indeed was revising from his bed. It's still quite a beautiful image. But these other chorale preludes that Bach revised in his later years, they are known, or were known, we sort of abandoned the term, they were known as the Great 18. These are the Great 18 chorale preludes because we have Bach's autograph of all 18. I'll even put a link in the description of the episode so you can download the autograph and look at the late masterly penmanship of Bach. Because Bach revised them, it means that he obviously thought there was something in them that was worth preserving, worth perfecting. And it's for this reason that the 18 chorale preludes, the great 18, go into this category of, we might say, the most important chorale preludes for organ. So we've got the chorale preludes from the third part of the Klavier Übung, and then we've got the Grade 18, and together those are really the most important chorale preludes for the organ. Remember, we're trying to get a handle on how much, how much output there is, where the chorale preludes end, how many are there. Now there's a second group, sort of a tier just underneath the Grade 18 and the Klavier Übung. It's a really disorganized group of chorale preludes that are individually transmitted. That means that they are transmitted in individual sources. You know, a student here, a student there, a family member there, family member here. There are 24 in this category that used to be called the Kirnberger Collection. So you might hear someone talking about the Kirnberger Zemlung, the Kirnberger Collection of Chorale Preludes. That accounts for about 24, but there are others. There are, in fact, 
some 16 others. So we've got, say, 40 individually transmitted organ chorales, very distinct from the Great 18 and the third part of the Klavierübung. Then, only as of 2008 did the NBA, the Neuebach edition, decide to print an even messier group of chorale-based compositions. There's like a hundred of them. And for time's sake, we are going to call them Volume 10. That's how the Neue Bachausgabe chose to publish them as Volume 10. Why as of 2008? It's, it's interesting. These are chorale-based compositions that cannot be proven that they are not by Bach. They were withheld for publication until the 21st century because there are doubts as to their authenticity. The style is not always that which matches the style of the Bach that we at least think we're used to. Again, as of 2008, they decided, you know, there's no real convincing argument that we have that this is not music by Bach, just based on the way that we look at how music is transmitted, how physical paper goes down from one person to the next. Based on all of that, we have no real reason to say that this is not by Bach. There's about a hundred of these other chorale preludes that we will call volume 10. And then finally, we have the very important discovery from the 1980s, the chorale preludes from Bach's early life, the Neuermeister collection. Yes, only discovered in the 1980s. The manuscript now resides at Yale University. It's, it's a wonderful insight into Bach's development as a composer. And there are about 35 chorale preludes from the Neuermeister collection. So to recap, we've got 21 chorale preludes from the Klavierübung 3. We've got the Great 18 and the 40 individually transmitted one. The others are, of course, the 100 so from volume 10 and the Neumeister collection. Any organist worth his or her salt knows the Klavierübung 3 and the Great 18 and a lot of the individually transmitted chorales. But the volume 10 chorale preludes and the Neumeister collection, this is really specialized knowledge that if we ever get into this music on the podcast, it's going to be probably a niche topic or very, very far down the road. But to keep my listeners abreast on what every good Bachian must know, we've got Klavierübung 3, the Great 18, and the individually transmitted organ chorales. Since in the last episode we did a chorale prelude from volume 3 of the Klavierübung, today the two chorales are going to come from the two other important sources, the Great 18 and the individually transmitted ones. You, you are listening, listening to WTF Bach. You're like totally listening to WTF Bach. What a great day to be listening to WTF Bach. So the first of the two chorale preludes today will be from the individually transmitted chorales, that is from the 40 or so, and this one is called Allein Gott in der Höhe sei er. So, alone God in the high uh, be praised. That is better translated into English as to God alone on high, we would say, be glory or be praise. Now, this is an important melody for Bach. He sets it three times in his Klaverübung Part 3, the publication of organ music. But here, in the individually transmitted ones, he sets it several times as well. In fact, now that I'm thinking about it, in the Great 18, there are two settings, I believe, of this very melody. So this, this was clearly an important melody for Bach. It's an old church melody from the 16th century, and it sounds like this, if you don't mind my singing. Allein Gott in der Höhe sei er und Dank vor seine Gnade, darum das nun und nie mehr mehr uns rühren kann kein Schade, ein Wohlgefallen an uns hat, nun ist groß Frieden und Erlass, Alfred hat nun ein Ende. Maybe if you speak Old German, you got some of the text there, but for us English speakers, uh, the text has been translated to To God alone on high be glory and thanks for his mercy, since now and forevermore no harm can touch us. God is pleased with us, and now there is great peace without cease, and all feuds have an end. The melody itself, the first part repeated twice. Repeat. And the second part will explore the minor mode slightly. 
that G sharp into the A implies an A minor there. This is in fact how Bach harmonizes that phrase in one of his many settings of the four-part harmony of this piece. In fact, why don't I just play the entire way that Bach harmonized it in Cantata 112. piano here. Now this melody will be set three times in the individually transmitted chorales, once a lovely prelude longer uh, in many parts, several lines, BWV 717. This one, the piece we're going to analyze in question is BWV 711, and then of course it's followed by BWV 715, which is, uh, we could, it's part of the improvised hymn tradition that comes down to us. We imagine that Bach there in Weimar leading the congregation, playing these hymns during the church. He improvises between these phrases, has these, he plays one phrase, then he sort of plays all this, you know, Jimi Hendrix type stuff on the organ, and then next phrase, next phrase. Anyways, the piece that we're interested in now is in two voices. In fact, BWV 711, Bach writes on it, by kinium or by sinium or by chinium, how, however your, your Latin is, B-I-C-I-N-I-U-M. It's a Renaissance music. It's an early music term. So it's odd that we see it here in the 18th century. It just means a piece for two voices. But how completely different can these two voices be? And what I think is wonderful about this is alone God on high. So alone God, high up, right hand, playing the chorale melody alone. The left hand is man, on the earth, toiling, farming, um, addicted to social media, doing all kinds of things, just struggle and strife, and God just sitting there in the right hand, looking over, I, I guess you could say looking over what's going on in the left hand. In fact, these long, lengthy notes that we're about here, you will see how they sort of reframe harmonically all of the structure of what's going on underneath with this very weary and fatigued left hand that probably represents man. Here's myself playing on the organ. This is obviously man struggling. Here's God. God alone. And here's how the harmony changes beneath the long note. New harmony, new harmony, and new harmony. Now, just as the melody itself repeats once, Bach will repeat that first page of music again. second half of the piece, you'll hear this is the part where the music goes into the minor mode. phrase.
ends just there with the left hand alone. The left hand alone this time. Now, I mentioned at the beginning that I love the chorale preludes because they are pieces that reflect text painting, tone painting, box awareness of what is going on with the words. And there's one phrase there that was translated as without cease. That is, there will be great peace without cease. And that is the note that Bach chooses to hold the longest. All the ends of the phrases so far, they've been eight eight beats long, right? The end of... um, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, right? In slow motion, I suppose. But Peace Without Cease, the unfortunate rhyming translation, it's 11 beats long. So that's, that's just, when we go back and listen to it, you'll hear that it's slightly longer than everything else. Another idea, a little more abstract, is of course, God alone being up top and structuring everything that's going on under him. And that's what Bach will do very interestingly with all of the long notes that are the ends of each phrase. When you have a triad, right? A triad is made up of three notes. You've got the root of the triad, the third of the triad, and the fifth of the triad, which is also to say that a single note in music can function as one of the three parts in the triad. So for example, B could be the third of G major. It could be the root of B major, or it could be the fifth of E minor. Now, Bach will use all of these with these long notes. So when we hear that is, uh, here it is as the third of G major, and now the fifth of E minor, and now the root of B major. And, and this will happen with every single one of these notes. Now here's the end of the first page. G, it's the third of E minor here, and then the fifth of C major, and then the root of G major, and then the fifth of C major, and then the root again. So this is really Bach showing you, look, look at all the permutations I can do with just this one note harmonically. E minor, C major, G7, C major, G major. Now, going on to the next phrase. And this phrase I, I really want to talk about because it shows you how quickly Bach can modulate on a dime. Here we are. This is the A minor that I mentioned. So here it is in A major, the A functioning as the root of A major. And D minor. And then A major again. Now where do you think we are? It seems like we're pretty securely in D minor. The music could continue like this. Right, but Bach, he decides that as soon as he introduces this A major sonority, he's going to cancel it with a C natural, so that will sound like this. So he's, he's, he's eluding your expectations constantly. Right back into A minor. Then we have the phrase that is, the peace without the cease. And here, instead of all the notes in the triad, Bach will actually do something because he's got a little extra time with this note, he'll show you something a little special. So here is the B as the root of uh, B major. And here it is as the fifth of E minor. And here it is again in, in B major. And now here it is for the first time in the piece as the seventh chord. as the seventh note of a seventh chord. And it's the C-sharp diminished seventh here. So that's the first time, and Bach has a little extra time to do that on this phrase. B major, E minor, B major, then C-sharp diminished. And then the last phrase, we'll go back to a little uh, more simple language. Okay, I'll play the whole piece again. I think it's such a unique piece, really. It's hard to find a piece where one voice is traveling so slowly and the other so quickly, so rapidly, and implying various harmonies with each of its movements. 
But again, this is God alone in the high. Let's take one more listen. That's the great Wolfgang Rubsam. Now, I'm in contact with Mr. Rubsam. He prefers not to be interviewed on this podcast, but rather speaks only through his feet and his hands. So if you'd like to ask a question to Mr. Rubsam, I will forward him your question. Now, why should you ask him a question? He is uh, an accomplished organist. He's recorded the complete organ works, also a harpsichordist, also a pianist. He recorded recently the six partitas for harpsichord on a lute harpsichord, and about 40, maybe even 50 years ago, the six partitas on piano. So that is a very unique Bachian indeed. Probably someone who is worthy of our continued attention. Send me your question and listen to his organ works. Are you with the umlaut B-S-A-M? Moving on. The piece that I'm just ecstatic about recently is a chorale prelude from the Great 18, from the Leipzig collection, we could say, from the Great 18. It's called Herr Jesu Christ, dies zu uns wend. Uh, the translation of the first stanza of this, Lord Jesus Christ, turn toward us, dies zu uns wend. Send your Holy Spirit to us, den Heiligen Geist, du zu uns send. And with her help and grace, may he rule us and lead us on the way to truth. Why that translation is translating with her help and grace, may he rule us, I don't know, haven't looked into it. I suppose it could be a topic, English translations of old German text. So I will sing the Quran melody as it comes down to us before 1643. There's something about singing melodies that are 400 years old, you know, or even 500 years old. I mean, it really connects you to 
all that time that's passed between the creation of the music and now. Anyways, the reason I want to talk about this particular chorale prelude is because it's very different from the other two that we've seen, the one I just spoke about in the previous episode. In those, Bach sort of has this river going along, you know, and the current takes us, and we pass these giant islands that are the chorale melody. That's the whole idea of... Mm. This is the river. But then you have the, the, the islands, which are the chorale melody. This one, it's, a, it's like, where's the chorale melody? Where, where is it? He says it's a trio. Super, like a trio on. Herr Jesu Christ, dies zu uns And he writes for two claviers and the pedal. This is BWV 655, by the way. Now, whenever you see trio in the organ repertoire, you, unless you're an accomplished organist, you start to freak out because it's so difficult. I recently had a friend who told me that the organ trios are akin to the great romantic virtuosic works in the piano literature, like, you know, the great Liszt concerti, the Tchaikovsky concerto, something that's like playing some of the trio works on the organ because your feet, all of a sudden your feet have this obligato responsibility. They're no longer just sitting and holding long bass notes or, or, or something like that. They're really walking and talking with the other two hands. The other two hands, mind you, are exceedingly complicated because they're playing on two different keyboards and often they're playing in the exact same register. We've got to cover the six trio sonatas for organ on this podcast. By the way, if you'd like to get into those on piano, I have recorded them on piano on disc clavier so that I can pan both hands, you know, the right hand and the left hand in your right and left speaker so that you could hear the way that they're actually not meant to be coming from the same set of strings. But enough self-promotion now. You know, the idea is that this trio starts like this in the right hand and the left hand immediately says the exact same thing. So the fact that those would be coming from two different combinations of pipes, that gives us the idea. It's very physically challenging to play these works. You've got one hand on top of the other, two different keyboards there, and then of course your body is contorting and twisting, you know, in order to get your feet to play these very complicated lines. Where is the chorale melody? That's the problem. Where is the chorale melody? I, I'm sitting here playing this piece. I'm going, where is Herr Jesu Christus zu uns wend? You know, where is this? It's very obvious where it is in every other chorale prelude. But where is it here? Bach is in G major. Now, whenever Bach is in G major, you know it's going to be exceedingly joyous for the most part, unless he's contemplating death in G major, which he also does. But let's, let's just say he, this is the joyous G major Bach. You know, this is the G major fugue from book one. This is the final sonata of the sonatas for violin and harpsichord. And this. Okay, that's the gesture. How exuberant is that? And it comes in canon immediately. Here it is with my voice. Right? You know that Bach is in a good mood. I'm just going to play the beginning, uh, maybe halfway through this chorale prelude with just the right and the left hand so you could see how they're interacting. This is me playing a sort of hybrid real organ with a MIDI organ. Okay, that's the first statement. And you could see that I've got one hand in one speaker and one hand in the other speaker. So on headphones or in a car, that's the best way to listen to this. But repeated in canon. And then they're off, and now they're going somewhere different. Now Bach is—he's taking us somewhere. Where is he taking us? D major. Bach went from G major to D major. Very logical, and also very Bachian. The right hand that started and the left hand that imitated with the same thing will now be swapped. So you will hear the left hand starting and then the right hand imitating. Still in D major, but this line here, 
want to point it out because the right hand says this, you know, and the left hand is complimenting it. Like, gone, yes, you're right, I know you're right, I know you're right, and everything will be fine. So something... That's what it sounds like the first time through. Now, meanwhile, really off here, this begins the series of crazy modulations out of the major mode into the minor. So Bach will really take what is so joyous and he will put it in context at least. So the right hand, that's the theme. Remember from the beginning? I will just play the conversation between the right hand and the left hand with that motive. So the right hand, the left hand, left hand still, the right hand, the left hand, and the right hand, and then the left hand. The right hand answers while the eighth notes are continuing our gesture. The sixteenth notes will complement that with the other thing. So they're going at the same time. And they're also swapping places. So here are just the sixteenth notes. First in the left hand. Right hand. Still right hand. Left hand. Right hand, left hand. That is the right hand and the left hand answering in can. And now we're in E minor, relative minor. Let's let's listen to this. Okay, now I know you're all wondering, like, where is the bass? Where where are those pedals? It's like, you know, I'm I'm DJ WTF, and you're like, drop the beat, man. Come on. But first, this next section here, I can just go on. It's very easy to hear the imitation between these two voices. Right, did you hear that? Then the other one goes But You know, the other one goes It's actually the same shape All coming down in parallel fifths If you play them at the same time And so with that simple idea If you just stagger it If you just delay the response from the call Then you get this beautiful Bachian counterpoint And at that precise moment where I stopped, that's when Bach decides to go through the circle of fifths every quarter note. D in the bass, G, C sharp, F sharp, B, E. And when you hit that chord, that E, mm, that's six, four, two for you figured bassians out there, that's gonna go. Now where are we? We're in B minor. And we've started in G major, but now it's gonna be, oh, really, really painful, the minor three. We are so far from home, but right after we're as far away as possible, Bach will take us back with this, you know, maternal energy. That's the only way I can describe it off the top of my head at this second. Here it is with the whole passage. We'll, we'll go from, from the imitation through the circle of fifths to the B minor, then to the reconciliation with our mother key. We're back in, anyways, we're in D major. That last line there, by the way, I just love that. The, the left hand just says, for, for over over an entire measure, while the right hand is going, you know, the communication, the conversation has usually been quicker. You know, I say something, you say something, but now it's like the left hand is like, you got it, man. Yeah, go on, go on, go on. Okay, now, 
How, by the way, did Bach get out of that deep B minor? Were you kidding? I mean, he just climbs right out. D do 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 C sharp do do D to the E to the F sharp to the G and to the A. I mean, that's it. That's when you're when you have such command of your craft as Bach, he literally climbs right on out of it to the dominant of D, where we now are. Now the climbing part. Bach will climb on many levels. I played for you the structure of the bass line, even though you haven't heard the bass line yet, but you heard the imitative hands playing D, and then E, and then F sharp, and then G, and then A, and then B. Now, what is interesting about this part, this climb, is that it's actually the golden section of the piece without the chorale, right? I'm mentioning the chorale because I haven't spoken about the chorale because, as I said, where is the chorale? I'm not hiding it from you in the bass. When I play the bass, you're not going to hear the chorale. That, that climb, that's the golden section of the piece without the chorale. So even Bach is thinking about, you know, the climb and, and the structure, where, where to put the golden section, what to do in the golden section. Finally, since we are in fact in D major, and that's not where we started, remember we started in G major, Bach has to get us from D major back to G major, and he will do it like so. Welcome home, we're in G major. I don't know about you, but I could hear this piece like a hundred more times. So let's listen to it up to that point with the pedals and I'll do a little bit of speaking over it. Bass. Pedals. Everything makes sense now. See it one more time, right here. C major. Wow. Now that line. I spoke previously about this line, and now here we're gonna stop. I know it's painful to withhold the chorale from you, but I mentioned this line earlier. And the left hand. I think I said something like the left hand was saying, yeah, it's fine, everything will be fine. But now, when that line appears in G major, as we are getting to the end of the section of the piece that contains no chorale, it's no longer... But it's really following the right hand, actually following the right hand at the eighth note. So as if the left hand is saying, oh, I thought I was following you then. Well, now I'm really following you, literally. Secret, the bass, 
is the corral. From this point on, it's just corral. There's no more walking bass lines. There's no more this. Which, by the way, if you heard this, that theme, every time it comes, like, for example, in E minor. Or in B minor. That's the crowd, just sped up. So Bach is taking the melody and just, you know, compressing it into a little seed. And he's saying, I'm going to sprinkle these seeds all over this trio. And then suddenly, at the end of the piece, we're going to have the chorale. But if we're listening to only the right hand and the left hand at the end of the piece where the chorale is, leaving out the chorale, we will see that because of the shape of the melody, the right and left hand will sound a little bit not dictated of their own will. They are really definitely under the guidance of the chorale melody. So here is the end of the piece where the chorale melody will appear in the bass, just the right hand, left hand. is the entire piece. You've now heard every single part of the piece, except the chorale melody and the way that it fits in. So yes, the big reveal, I suppose, in this piece is that it's a, it's a trio sonata. It is a trio sonata, three independently moving lines that seemingly have nothing to do with the chorale until you finally hear the way that Bach spins this fantasia, this fantastic fancy on this... Um, Chorale melody and the way that he puts it into the bass at the end is just is absolutely blew my mind the first time I heard it. You know, I'm just reading through it. Yes, these are the grade 18, and usually you know very clearly where the chorale melody is. So I'm thinking there must be something to this. There must be something very, very tricky about this that I'm not getting. But indeed, no, he just waits to the very end. So here it is, and you will hear me singing, and actually my sister singing, which is nice to have her on the podcast. You will hear us singing the text and the chorale melody. Obviously, you wouldn't do this when actually performing this. This is just an organ work, but I myself couldn't resist the temptation to overdub a choir of myself and my sister singing this. So please enjoy this version. Thank you. 
let's be honest, we're not going to come up with a better rendition than that, or more joyous music in general. These are the type of recordings that I would like to release on my new Substack, and if you are not signed up to the list there on Substack, it's absolutely free. Just go over to wtfbach.substack.com, put your email address in, and then you will receive a little notification every time a new episode of the podcast comes out. And I'm also going to start putting my writings there. I have a lot of writings about Bach, but also non-Bach-related things. So if you are down the rabbit hole like I know all the listeners are, I believe that you are going to enjoy going over to the Substack. Here is Ton Koopman. Thanks very much for listening. A note on this organ that Ton Koopman is playing. It's apparently the Trinity organ of the Basilica of Otto Buren. For those of you who want a slightly lighter feel to this chorale prelude, there is, of course, Marie Claire Marie Claire Elaine. Uh, I will put a link to her rendition in the description. I would really love to hear John Butt doing this trio. I would really love to hear that, but I cannot find a recording. So send me your favorite recordings and just go over to the Substack and download this one, the, the one that you already heard. Okay, y- you know the drill. Thanks for listening.
Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening. Thank you. Thank you for listening. This podcast exists because of listeners like you. Donate on PayPal, Cash App, or Venmo. All relevant links are found in the episode description. Infinitely polishing the surfaces like the crabs on the sands of the beach. <laughs>